morning. I'm glad to see you all here today. Uh, thinking about that last song. Thank you. The, the grave had to be empty. If Jesus isn't resurrected, then we're kind of spinning our wheels here because then we don't have that hope of resurrection, uh, which we do have in Christ. Uh, so let me ask, first of all, how is your 2023 treating you? Is it, is it starting the way you thought? Are you still, uh, still in holiday mode? Uh, I'll be honest, I am. Classes start tomorrow. So uh, I've been doing some of the uh, getting things ready. Uh, if you're a student, you have the opposite perspective. Uh, I'm uh, loading things on Blackboard for my students, responding to emails also from students that I haven't even met yet. Uh, and the idea is they're wanting as much information as they can get before the semester starts. And so Remembering those days, I try to do everything ahead of time. Here's everything you might want to know about the next 15 weeks, right? Here's all the assignments you're going to have to do. Here's all the dates of when the tests, the quizzes, um, everything that might go on. I want to try and set you up. And, and the reason I do that is... Uh, one, because as a student, that was what I preferred, but also as a dad and seeing my, my own kids as students and just that anxiety level when something is not clear, there's, there's unanswered questions. And so I wanted to, to start uh, uh, the next few weeks really talking about how do you handle uncertainty? And with that comes anxiety. What do you do about it? Anxiety is the most common form of mental illness in the U.S. Did you know that? How common is it? I looked at some data from different sources, the CDC, the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, Harvard School of medicine uh, in uh, from 2001 to 2003 an estimated 19.1 percent of adults in America had an anxiety disorder okay so that puts it at uh, 20 years ago to just over 20 years ago during that period in a 2020 survey you could see where this is going probably. 62% of respondents reported experiencing some degree of anxiety. Now, that's not a diagnosed disorder, but they experienced it, and so we're honest about it. And, and so you can't say those aren't exactly the same measurements, but you get an idea that, that something has, has happened in those 20 years an estimated 31% of adults experience an anxiety disorder 
at some point in their life. And that was uh, reported in 2020. And then because it's important to know, anxiety disorders are more prevalent in women than in men in the United States. And so uh, I, I kind of bring that up that, that you might get that idea that if uh, anxiety is so prevalent, the, the, uh, the chances are really good that some of you might experience it. 61% possibly, 62% possibly. Uh, and so what do you do about it? Right? And there's different kinds of anxiety and different recognized disorders, right? There is uh, a general anxiety disorder. There's panic disorders, social anxiety disorders, uh, specific phobias that are identified, stress, obsessive compulsive disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, right? So you put all of those together, and, and, and what do we do about it? Well, I appreciate the, uh, the Mayo Clinic. They reported in, in July of 2021, uh, here's some things that they said, here's what you do about it, right? So these are just common sense things that you can, you can consciously go, you know, I'm going to work on this, that maybe this will help a little bit, that you keep physically active. That sounded good. Um, always a good advice, avoid alcohol, drugs, uh, smoking, and the bad one I disagree with is, is caffeine. I don't think we need to avoid that, but they put that on the list. Uh, use stress management and relaxation techniques, right? So, so deep breathing and, and uh, you know, exercise and all those kinds of things. Uh, make sleep a priority, right? Get your rest regularly. Some of you do that and some of you don't. I can tell because I can see it on your faces. He's talking about me. Eat healthy foods. How are you doing on that one? Uh, learn about the disorder. Stick to your treatment plan, right? Once you've, you've come up with, here's something that works, you got to stick with it. Identify triggers, right? Things that, that you know are not going to be healthy for you to be around and uh, keep a journal. And then socialize. And it seems like good advice. And so anxiety is a real thing. And and there's definitely a correlation between uncertainty, right? Things that I don't know what's coming next and anxiety. And so then I can spend some time kind of throwing verses at you that say, don't be anxious. Don't worry. Don't stress, right? Things like Matthew 6.25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more, worth more than food and your body more than clothing? That sounds good and that's true. Jesus said that. So don't be anxious. Or Paul, when he wrote to the church in Philippi, do not be anxious about anything, he says. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God, that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Some of you could probably quote that. That's one of the first verses I learned. It's, it, it hit me where I was at. Then actually has a few things that we're supposed to do because of it. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. Make your request known to God. Since anxiety is a reality, it's probably not enough to just say, 
don't be anxious. Knock it off. Stop it. Right? That's not enough. So what are we going to do about it? Right? What is it that we're going to, to steps we're going to take so that we can, we can deal with it? Now, I'm not talking about clinical, physiological, uh, diagnosed disorders, right? Because I'm not qualified. Okay, so, so let's just be clear about that. There are some very real health issues having to do with these. And so I'm not trying to lump them all together and say, you know, stop going to your doctor, stop taking your meds. I, I don't know. I'm not qualified to do that. What I am qualified to do is say, here's what God's word says about these things that we're supposed to do. And I think we can do those in addition. Okay, so that's kind of where, where I fall on that. We don't want to just dismiss it out of hand. So what do we do? Well, we're going to look at uh, Peter's first letter. And he, he kind of deals with this maybe in a unique way. I think it'll be helpful. So 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 5, actually the second half of the verse, he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Wait a minute, where's the anxiety there? It's coming. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Now, probably a really good place to start is to realize the answer to anxiety. It seems to have to do with a perspective. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And so that connection between anxiety and Peter's answer is humility. Did you guys catch that? That, that he says, look, there's, there's somehow this perspective of the way we look at the world that, that really does affect the way we feel about it. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. That, that humility has to do with that perspective. Humility means it's not all about you. This is not a lesson just for the proud. This is a lesson for every human being. You guys know, anybody who's a parent knows, anybody who's spent time with little kids know that you start off, your whole world is yourself, and it starts to expand as you get older and mature. Then there are probably a lot of people that you know that are adults that still think the world seems to revolve around themselves. 
I, I learned this lesson <laughs> the hard way, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, I was uh, a young pastor with little kids at home, uh, teaching and pastoring a church and, and trying to be a dad and a husband. And, and I'll tell you what, the stress got to me. And I was having a meeting with our director of missions for our association of churches, and I was whiny. I mean, big time. And I, I regret it now how whiny I was. And so here's this, uh, you know, uh, 60, 70-year-old man who I just uh, adored and, and respected. And he listened to me politely and then said, you know, every parent deals with that. Every husband deals with that. Every pastor is struggling with the same things. And I went, oh. So I, I kind of had this idea that I was unique and special and, and I was dealing with things that nobody else had dealt with. Now, if you asked me to think it through, I probably could have told you, well, yeah, of course other people deal with this. But not the way I did. I'm unique and special. And, and, and that day it was an eye-opener and I learned a lesson that I continually go back to. And I've tried to teach that same lesson on occasion, right? When the, the, the time came up and someone starts talking and, and explaining how their situation is so unique and, and nobody else has experienced it or could understand it, I go, you know, he, let me explain this. And I explained the lesson the way it was explained to me. And I've gotten a range of responses from, wow, you're right, to no one knows how I feel. Nobody could understand me. And we start to think that, that our situation is so unique and nobody's ever dealt with it that same way. Humility helps because it, it counters that thought that we're special and no one can sympathize with what we're dealing. Paul, when he wrote to the church in Colossae, he said, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, right? So these are our characteristics we're to put on and wear and, and live this way. He says, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And so there's this idea we're supposed to forgive because others are dealing with stuff we don't always understand. Humility is important for another reason. In humility, we know that we need help, right? We need help from the Lord. We need help from the church. It's only in humility do we admit that need for help. Because otherwise, you've got it all figured out. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. It's not be arrogant and exalt yourself. It's no, it's in humility, in that perspective of understanding who you are. Now, humility is a hard thing because it's not mousy. We often like equate humbleness with this kind of mousy, uh, lack of self-esteem, and that's not humility. Humility has to do with a proper perspective of the world, a proper self-image. You're to see yourself 
the way God sees you. That's hard to do, right? It, it takes some work. And the best way to do it is it's through God's word. You want to know how God sees you. You spend time reading God's word. And that will help you. All right, so humility. And then, and then the second part of that is, is really how do we deal with anxiety? Be on guard against your areas of weakness. Right? Uh, Peter said, be sober-minded, be watchful, because you have an adversary, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You have to be on guard. You have to be prepared and watchful. I, I love that, that phrase, sober-minded. It's not a phrase we use often. Because we tend to just use the word sober having to do with when someone isn't sober. But that's not really what it means. To be sober or sober-minded means to be in your right mind. It means to think clearly. Which seems like a really good reason to not then do anything that would cause you to not think clearly. But when you're thinking clearly and you're seeing the world as it is, you have a proper perspective. That helps. Paul said, uh, Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. You pray, you spend time in God's word, and you're watching. Now, part of that means there are some areas in which you know you would be tempted. You got to watch that. You know there, there are people, when you're around those people, you're not the best that you could be. Probably need to be on guard against that. You know there are some things that really bother you. Probably need to be careful of those as well. Then Revelation 16, uh, 15 Behold, I am coming like a thief, Jesus said. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go out naked and be seen exposed. That is literal, but it's also metaphorical. It's this idea you have to be on guard because you don't want to be embarrassed by lack of preparedness. We don't talk about that a lot. Right? You hear it, you're supposed to be prepared for the big one when the earthquake comes. You're supposed to be prepared for, for work or school or whatever. But, but we're to be prepared for sin and temptation to sin. We're to be prepared because there are plenty of people that would like to see us fall. You might not think about it that way, but it's true. The, the saying, misery loves company means that there are people that are in your life that are caught up in things that they know isn't right. And if they could get you to join them, they will feel better about themselves. That's why that you get those people that are like, come on, it's not a big deal. That's what peer pressure is. They want to feel better about themselves. And if they get you to join in, they will. Got to be on guard. Number three, uh, trust that the Lord is at work in the challenges, right? When things are difficult, there's a reason. 
Things aren't difficult arbitrarily, right? Life is hard. Just deal with it. No, God's at work in that to grow you into the likeness of Christ. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That kind of the idea is that if you're going to grow, you need to be challenged first. It doesn't happen accidentally. Right? So you don't, you don't all of a sudden become wise without having experience. You, you read, you gain knowledge. That's not wisdom. You actually have to deal with life. That's how you become wise. It's why when I have a challenge, I don't go to my 10-year-old and say, honey, what should I do? Right? I find someone who's older and more wise than me and say, I don't know what to do. What do you recommend? Maybe I call my dad. Hey, here's what's going on. What do you think? Dad's got some good ideas because he's older than me. He's experienced more. So know that the Lord is at work in those challenges to grow you and help you become then more wise than you are. Think we've, we've gotten averse to any kind of difficulty. I don't want to deal with that. Yet it's the dealing with it that helps you grow. So God is at work in those things to grow you. Psalm 37, uh, starting in verse Three, it's actually three through four. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That sounds really good. Just do good, be faithful, stick with it. And when you trust God and he's at work in these things, that's how you grow more like Christ. And when you have those times when you're like, man, nobody knows what I deal with. Nobody understands what it's like to be me. You need to realize everybody struggles at times. Everybody does. You're not alone. When you feel like you are, that's where you need the church. The reason God gave us a church is so we could do this together. I think you've heard me say that a few times now. Right? God gave us the church so that when those challenges come up and we feel like, okay, I, all right, I heard Steve say, God's going to work in this, but man, I don't know how to do this. That's why we have the church. Now, they may not have the answer for you. They may not be able to tell you, here's what God's going to do in this situation, but they can at least reassure you, yes, God is going to use this situation. Because I've gone through things too. And I always didn't understand it, but, but God knew what he was doing. That's why Peter said, and after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Here's the hard part. After a little while. That's a, a vague phrase. Can I get a deadline, God? Can't you tell me when I'm going to not have to deal with this anymore? No, 
It doesn't work that way. You're going to have to deal with it. And part of the growing in, in faith and growing in your relationship with God is dealing with that uncertainty. God works in that. All right. This is hard. But the uncertainty that we're trying to, like, deal with is part of God's plan to grow us. There is no temptation, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, no temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. There, there is, is nothing that you're dealing with that there aren't other people that have dealt with. There is nothing as a Christian that you have dealt with that others haven't dealt with. He says there's no temptation that's overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation... He will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So, I know it's easy to think, man, Paul doesn't know me. Paul wrote that. He doesn't know 2023. Paul doesn't understand LA. Paul doesn't know my situation. Come on. Things are hard here. Paul, man, he had it easy. Okay, let's be honest. Paul did not have it easy. The Christians in the first century church, they didn't have it easy. When Paul says, no temptation is overtaking you that isn't common to man, there's no situation that we deal with that there weren't people at the time dealing with similar temptations. Now, okay, it wasn't on a computer. It wasn't the same kind of media, but the same temptations? Yes. They had temptations of lust and desire and relationship problems. And they had the fear that they were going to be arrested and persecuted and abused. Paul dealt with that. Can you imagine that we gathered here and someone would walk in and go, that's it, you're all breaking the law, right? We don't deal with that. But that's what happened in the first century church. Paul was rounded up. He was beaten even though he was, it was illegal for them to do it. He was afraid for his life. He had to be lowered over the wall. Right? Seems like he was running to me. But man, they got him out. We, we think, well, we're having to deal with something that nobody else has ever had to deal with. And, and they're like... Do you not know what we did? Do you not understand? That's why it's really important that we spend time in God's word so we gain understanding. That when Paul says there is no temptation, right? I know you're afraid to tell someone about Jesus. I know it's hard to stand up for your faith. But you know what? If you do, You're not getting smacked across the face and thrown in jail. That's what happened to Paul. And then Paul and Silas, they're hanging out in jail singing worship songs. And we're like, I don't even want to get thrown into jail. Paul goes, get thrown into jail. Sing worship in jail. That's what you're supposed to do. 
Oh, man, Paul. Really? And he says, look, when, when you're tempted and something difficult is coming up, he's going to provide a way. Some of that has to do with that accountability. Some of it has to do with, with just being strong and understanding. That's why humility comes back. It's how you endure. And so, uh, my guess is that some of you are like, you know, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm dealing with some of that, some of that uncertainty. I'm, I'm, I'm anxious about it. I don't know what's going to happen next. The, the younger you are, it might be harder. I think as you get older, it gets a little bit easier. But, but the uncertainty, it's kind of like the, uh, the level, the, uh, the severity of what could happen if things go wrong gets even more severe. As a dad, you know how often I tell my kids? It could go really bad really quick. <laughs> Be wise. Don't blow it. Right? Probably I read too much. Because I read books in which it went from, from great to really bad in a, just a few pages. You need to be on guard. You need to be prepared. So how do you get prepared? Well, if you haven't yet, I would encourage you to spend time in prayer with the Lord. And say, you know what? Here I am. I understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for my sins. That if I believe that he's the son of God and he died for me and I trust him. He promises to forgive me. That's what he promises. And with that comes eternal life and, and a process scripture calls sanctification. It's that process of growing and becoming more like Jesus, right? Holy. And you're like, holy. Yeah. It just means Set apart, more like Jesus. He promises that. He promises the Holy Spirit that, that we will gain understanding, wisdom. And then eternal life. If that's something you haven't done before, I would encourage you. There's no magic words, right? You can't just, I'll say this, repeat after me. Sign on the dotted line. It's actually something you do with God. Close your eyes and say, God, help me. Forgive me. I want to learn from you. If you're like, well, I've done that before, but maybe today's the day you need to, to get back on track. I made a left turn. Should have made a right turn. Right? My, my GPS, it says, make the next legal U-turn. This might be that. This might be the next legal U-turn for you. That you get back following Christ. And if it's not any one of those things, it's just, you know, I need to be more confident in trusting God this year. Then that's what I want to pray for you. So I'll encourage you to do that. So my next steps today, I just have one and then a blank. So on the blank, you can fill whatever you need. But on the other one, it says, cast my anxiety to the Lord. 
That is such a vague phrase on purpose. Because I don't know what that looks like for you. I have this, this, this picture of whether it's, it's casting like fishing, it's throwing a net, something like that. Whatever it is, it's getting rid of it and saying, God, here it is. I trust you. And I know you've got a plan. You're going to use this. And so I have trust that you will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are uh, loving and gracious, that you gave us your son to die on the cross, that we might believe, repent, and be saved. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, whether uh, they just need to make that U-turn and get back on track, whether it's just to trust you with what's going on, or Father, uh, maybe it's for the first time trusting you. Father, we know you've got a plan here and that there is no temptation, there's no situation, there's nothing that we can endure, no challenge ahead that is too hard for you too difficult to help. Father, I pray for each one that as we get going on 2023, that this would be a year we'd look back on and say that was the year. I, I got off to the right start and I'm trusting you. So Father, for that, those areas of anxiety and stress and uncertainty, we trust you. We hand those to you. We cast those to you, Lord. Thank you and pray in Jesus' name.